So I'll do the scripture reading today. Our passage is John 12, 24 to 26. Call this sermon a nudge to evangelism. I'll, I'll explain why. But um, let's, let's first read um, the word of God. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. And if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So this is what we're going to study today. Let me just pray again. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for bringing us here this morning. And for all those joining online, we thank you just for the opportunity to spend some time looking at your word and what you have for us, Lord. And and may it... um, Touch our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, So today um, we were talking about evangelism, and uh, I felt like it's kind of a capstone to what we've been looking at uh, for pre-Advent, Advent, Advent, and birth of Christ, Christmas, and we've had about six weeks of of Advent and all that. So I wanted to do a quick recap just to keep it fresh in our minds and, and see how it all fits together um, we first started Advent with Dr. Garfield, and he looked at Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. This passage was in Acts, I believe, and the, the eunuch was reading the prophet Isaiah, but he didn't understand what he was reading, and the angel of the Lord nudged Philip to go talk to him, and then he ended up getting baptized on the side of the road. And then he also had a sermon about how Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah 53. And then we had Pastor Albert. He looked at the wise men and how God works by another way, ways that we don't always expect, and how uh, King Herod, he was kind of resistant to how God was working. Um, And then we also looked at how Jesus is the light that overcomes that darkness. And then Pastor Bernard came and uh, gave us a sermon about how Jesus is the promised assurance from God. We looked in the the past passages of how a son was to be born to assure Um, one of the kings, God was on his side. And then Jesus came later on, much later, to assure us that um, that is the end of fear. That was his sermon title, The End of Fear. And then last week, um, Elder Mike looked at spiritual rebirth and how uh, Nicodemus talked with Jesus, and he said, you must be reborn. And he shared about his new grandson, a baby, and that we we are sometimes spiritual babies, and, and he shared about how we can grow. And so today we go full circle all the way back to how the angel of the Lord nudged Philip to how the Holy Spirit nudges us to practice evangelism. And then also how to fulfill our role and go from being a baby to being a mature disciple of Jesus. So uh, evangelism is a common term. We hear that a lot. I've been a Christian for like decades and it's a very common term. Sometimes it's the meaning can be, can be modeled, so I just wanted to go over that, the basics today, and how to apply it. So uh, I looked up the original Greek from the Thayer's Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament. It's available on, online if you want, ever want to look up, like really like go deep into a Bible verse. Um, there's many verses about evangelism, and the, the word that we see uh, commonly is euangelizo, and that means to bring good news, to announce glad tidings. It's used in the Old Testament of any kind of good news, 
It can mean the joyful tidings of God's kindness, in particular the messianic blessings. And in the New Testament, it's the glad tidings of the coming of the kingdom of God and salvation to be obtained through Christ uh, and how it relates to salvation. And it involves instructing others concerning the things that pertain to Christian salvation. A verse that felt relevant is Isaiah 52, verse 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. And Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. And he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So it's very important <laughs> for us in this New Testament church age, this good news that people bring is the message of salvation through Christ. So this is all good information, uh, but what does this have to do with me? I always like to ask that. Um, we all play a part. Uh, Romans 10, 14 to 15 talks about the part that we play. How then can they call on the one in whom they have not believed? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone to preach? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So this message must go out, and you never know like, how God is going to use you personally, like your life, where you were born, who you know, how you, just all your experiences. You might be the only Christian that somebody meets. Or maybe you have a unique opportunity in your life, in your relationships, that no other Christian will have. So I want to emphasize like the way who we are, how we were born, where we were born, is all part of a story and uh, a way that God can use you. Still, some people might say, well, evangelism is a spiritual gift, and I don't have that gift. So let the people gifted with evangelism do that. Um, there's another verse. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Another verse is John 15, 8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit proving yourselves to be my disciples. Uh, discipleship is very much related to evangelism, so we'll share more about that later. And then finally, Matthew 5, 14 to 15, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. So this is a commandment for everyone. We are the light. And um, I forgot, I had some pictures of animals in this. They're not on my notes, but <laughs> these, those are the illustration of being nudged. Like there was a hippo nudging the baby and the elephant. <laughs> so thanks, Jeffrey. Um, so this is just the illustration of us being nudged to be that light. We are not supposed to hide our light under a bowl, but we're supposed to let it shine. So I want to encourage you all. But that first scripture I read from John 12, it's kind of scary. There's a part that says Jesus was saying, whoever loves his life loses it, 
and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. That's John 12, 25. So does that mean I have to hate my life? That doesn't sound very encouraging, right? But um, we, we have to look at it in context. We have to look at um, Jesus. When he spoke, oftentimes he used hyperboles. He exaggerated a lot. A silly thought is like if Jesus was our friend today and, and we were doing yo mama jokes, I think Jesus would like, he would cap everybody. He, he was, <laughs> he's got that hyperbole. He can, he can really cut to your heart and say strong things like this. So that's my tip about how to read the words of Jesus. And in this passage itself, he's giving a contrast between a life surrendered to the will of God and a life lived for selfish desires. The difference between selfishness and surrender among Christ's followers is supposed to be the same magnitude as love and hate. And in the context of eternity, it's clear that we're not created to live just for ourselves. Um, there's this great illustration by uh, Francis Chan. He's, he's looking at a rope, and uh, it's a long rope, but just the tip is just like a little red, like one inch of the rope is red. And he's like, this is your life. This is your 85 years on earth. It's just this tip of the rope. And then the, the rest of the whole rope is eternity. And why is everyone so focused on this little red piece of the rope when in the context of eternity there is much more to think about and worry about and, and to look forward to, not to worry. Uh, w. Harris Hall has a commentary on Bible.org and he points out, the person who loves his life seeking to retain it really destroys it. Self-interest and self-preservation are ultimately self-defeating. The harder that one tries to live for self, the less one really has, until at the end there is nothing left of it at all and has nothing to show for it. He also quoted C.S. Lewis in a good statement about investment and um, not being selfish. C.S. Lewis says, There is no safe investment. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything besides yourself, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully, round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all the entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least to the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and perturbations of love is hell. So another very strong illustration and strong words. So this concept of following Christ and not seeking our desires, but dedicating our lives to follow him brings us to discipleship, as I mentioned earlier. I think discipleship could be a whole nother sermon in itself, but we can just look at it briefly. The word in Greek is matheteuo, or the base word is mathetes, and that means to disciple, helping somebody to progressively learn the word of God, to become a mature, growing disciple. And in the word itself, disciple literally means a learner. That's the word mathetes. And also that's where we get the word math, just for people who like math. So you're learning to be a true Christ follower. You train, develop in the truths of Scripture and the lifestyle required 
helping a believer learn to be a disciple of Christ in belief and practice. I think those are the key words. So if that's kind of a scary concept to you, uh, sounds too hardcore, please talk to us. Um, there's good reasons to, to go for this concept of discipleship. Um, this is the risky investment that kind of like C.S. Lewis was talking about. And uh, we talked about financial planners. Uh, I think uh, for finances, the illustration would be a long-term growth index. <laughs> I guess it's multiple things that you have to put your trust in and your, your values are going to go up and down, but long-term, they're going to go up. That's kind of another illustration for finance people. Uh, so then it is a effort worth pursuing. It is kind of switching from, as a baby, switching from milk to solid food, doing more as a Christian, maturing. And I'll list some options for discipleship at the end. We don't have like an explicit discipleship program right now, but we have options. Discipleship is the example that Jesus showed us with what he did with the 12 disciples. They were uneducated fishermen, a tax collector, you know, and he lived his life with them and taught them how to put scripture to practice. Um, a great book, just uh, if anyone's interested, is called The Master Plan of Evangelism by Robert Coleman. He really just goes deep, deep dive into how Jesus invested in the disciples and the methods he used to really just multiply himself in them so that they could multiply and become the church of two billion Christians in the world today. So let's say we're on board. We want to pursue discipleship. We want to practice evangelism. We have some challenges ahead of us. Our culture today um, is hyper-individualized. Um, you might see, you see social media, there's a lot of polarity, people just attacking each other, even our, our leaders, our politicians, there's division. Individualism is praised in our culture. Um, our culture praises living for one's own desires. To love or worship ourselves is more important than anything, and our dialogue is limited to only the people inside of our tribe, our clique. And um, if somebody's challenging some way of thinking, then those people are the people you shun, that you cancel, you don't want to hear from them. But um, there's ways out of this challenge I'll share. Second challenge um, is relativism. It's just this concept that knowledge, truth, and morality exist in relation to culture, society, and history, or historical context, and that they're not absolute. This is not good. <laughs> Um, the absence of absolute things means anything can be anything. It's, not, it's a dangerous way of living and seeing the world. Uh, they think that all roads lead to the same place and that it's wrong to say somebody is wrong. That's not a logical way to think. Um, it's wrong to say other ways are wrong. It's meaning there is no one right way, which is not what we believe. It's not what the Bible teaches, and I don't think it's what reality teaches. And I had some graphs up there. I don't know if you could see. Basically, the, those terms were not very commonly used in the past. I think in the like, late 19, I guess 1950, 1975 or so, there, these terms are just becoming more common in the recent history, just the way our culture is going. Um, and the final challenge kind of is just that, not a challenge, but maybe final detail 
to consider in these challenges is that the way we share our faith with other people is subjective. The way we are a disciple of Christ and share the good news is very personal. And it looks different for different people talking to different people. So there's no one best method to share the gospel. Um, When you look at the life of Christ, he shared in very different ways to different people. So I want that to encourage you in that there's no... There's no written formula for you in how you share your faith. God works through you personally. And what I've learned uh, being a Christian, going to church for for decades, um, and one of my mentors, he was just saying, if you don't know where you're supposed to serve or how you're supposed to serve, just try everything. (laughs) We call this the shotgun approach. You just spread wide, and maybe you'll hit the target with one of your pellets. I did vacation Bible school. I did like missions trips. I went to Arizona and spoke to like White Mountain Apaches and went to the Philippines and went to Ecuador. My friends do the street preaching in San Francisco. They go to like Powell Street and the mission. They're called SOS. They have the big billboards and they have the microphones and a lot of people think they're annoying, but that's how they're gifted and and they do reach some people that way. Uh, Another thing I've tried was like a house church. My friends, just from different churches, we would meet every Monday and just practice discipleship, and we'd also go out and talk to people. So that leads me to just how we, uh, we have these challenges in our context, in our culture, but we also have some blessings. We're not in a country that oppresses Christians, thankfully, yet. I don't know. (laughs) We don't get put in jail. We don't get physically persecuted, so that is a blessing for us and hopefully an encouragement. Um, I want to share about some negative experiences I had. I was in a soup kitchen at Open Door Mission on 7th and Alice, and uh, we would just serve breakfast, and the emphasis when our church volunteered was to talk to people. You're giving them food, and they're just here sitting eating, so why don't you talk to them? And it was very uncomfortable. (laughs) People are eating, and they're not really looking at you, and you just have to, like, come alongside and be like, hi. <laughs> it's like, it just felt kind of awkward to me. And one guy, I was just saying, like, oh, how do you know Jesus? Or what is your view of, of Christianity or something? And he's like, why are you trying to school me? And I was like, what? I, I'm not trying to school you. I'm just trying to talk. Like, but I just felt, like, hostility. Um, and another time, uh, we were at the food trucks with my house church friends, and there was a group of people eating, and I just like, hi, um, can I talk to you about spiritual things? Are you guys open? And they're like, no, we don't want you here. <laughs> it's just like, um, just very, I just felt very rejected and discouraged, but it's okay. Like, I'm still here, and these examples were uncomfortable, but they're short-lived. I, I healed. I, I'm still okay, and I thought of just like the very worst case in our context uh, in America, in Oakland. The very worst case to me would be where I'm a bad witness and I make somebody's opinion of Christianity worse. Uh, Just specifically, in my mind, I think of like a friend saying I'm fake or I'm a hypocrite and that they see Christianity as a meaningless ritual. Or maybe my family, somebody in my family sees an inconsistency in the way I'm acting and what scripture says. They see a lack of change in my life and that Christianity is powerless. Another example would be coworkers um, seeing a lack of ethical convictions, like seeing me compromise in doing what's right, not having integrity, and knowing I'm a Christian. 
or the opposite extreme could be a worst case scenario in that somebody sees you, any of these people see you as an over-religious prude that does not know how to have fun and doesn't love people. All of these scenarios are what I would see as the worst case. So while we can't control people's responses, we can control ourselves, we can control how we live and interact with people, and when we mess up, we can apologize. We have relationships with our family and coworkers and friends. As long as we're still alive, we have a chance to be a good witness. And uh, if we've, we have an issue in our life that's inconsistent, we can let them know that we're seeking God's help on that issue. And hopefully they can see us follow through and that we do follow through. So um, the responsibility for evangelism and discipleship is very heavy. It's a meaningful, convicting challenge to anyone who professes Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But don't let it be discouraging. We have help. There's a great sermon by John Piper I was listening to recently on just glorifying God and the responsibilities as we have as Christians. He says, is this a burden that makes us sigh or is it wings to help us fly? It's just a simple rhyme. We look at John 15, 26 to 27. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. So we have a promise that the Holy Spirit will help us. And then also we look at Acts 2. That was Pentecost. That was when the Holy Spirit came and filled the apostles and empowered their testimony. They spoke in tongues. There was miraculous healings. Many people were saved. So I just want you to remember that Christian living as a disciple of Christ is an ongoing process. We're not all going to become superstar Billy Graham overnight, uh, and there's no perfect way. I want you to be encouraged that even in the pit of despair, if you're struggling with sin, but you've already repented of that, and that you're, you're turning to Christ as your Savior, that is a testimony. That is a powerful message of the hope and power in Christ that you can share. Some people who are new to their faith, they might be a spiritual baby, but they can grow. And there's our logo. We have Regeneration Church. Is uh, main theme is growth, regeneration. We have our small sprout growing within the shadow of an oak leaf. I hope that illustrates just this this process that we're all in, and that we are we all, all have hope of making making it to be an oak tree someday. <laughs> um, so now what? Uh, everything, all this information I've shared. What do we do? Um, I can't tell you a specific thing to do, but I just want to encourage you to try in some way. Start small if you've never done it. Start simply and keep trying forever. Um, Trust the Lord to water the seed of the good news that's planted in somebody's heart. Uh, Scripture for that is 1 Corinthians 3, 6-7. I planted the seed and Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but God who makes things grow. And if you're still scared, uh, the concept of predestination is a great fail-safe for you. That means that uh, you can't mess up. Uh, God will call those whom he calls. And uh, there's this illustration of predestination. If it's a new concept, imagine you're walking down a hallway, there's bunch of doors left and right 
you walk down the hallway, you choose the door to open, and you look at the back, and your name is on that door. That's kind of what illustrates predestination to me. Um, so the scripture that talks about that is Romans 8.30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So all of this is to say that the outcome is not up to us, but we, the church, Regeneration Church here in Oakland, are God's chosen message to deliver the gospel, the good news. It, it's a commandment for us all, and we have a unique opportunity where we are, who we are, um, everything we've experienced in our life. That's all part of the, the story that God is building and using. So some next practical steps. Um, number one is to think about your testimony. Um, you probably have logical reasons why you believe in Jesus, why you trust the Bible as valid, but also you put your faith in the good news of Christ's teachings, his life, his death, his resurrection, and your life should be affected by it. How has your life been transformed by the radical grace of God? Don't let your story be downplayed. The Spirit has touched your life, and that's something that you can share. Think about the trials you overcome. We heard about a lot of trials overcome, that empowered by the Spirit. How has God provided in your life? What brokenness has been healed? Or at least what new path have you found that you would not have found if not for hearing about the good news of Jesus? Even the simple choice of repenting, realizing your need for Christ, is a powerful testimony that can help plant that seed in someone else's life. Another simple prompt on how you share your testimony is how do you answer the trilemma? I think that was a, a concept brought up by C.S. Lewis in that he says Jesus is either one of three things. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. <laughs> so the way you answer that, the reasons you have, that is your testimony and how your life changed after that. Um, and not only do we have to think about our testimony, we also have to be in a way that we can share it. Um, that means putting yourself in places where you talk to people. Um, hopefully none of us are in that, that cliche of just a Christian bubble where you, all your friends are Christians and you don't really have close relationships with people who aren't Christians. If that is you, just try to foster relationships with other people, like maybe people that you work out with, people that are at your work, or people who have the same interests. And also another tip is to find a mentor. Um, find somebody who can invest in you, somebody who knows the word very well, who's a person of wisdom that can help you in your life, in your growth. And also find a mentee, somebody who's younger in their faith, who's your friend, who's willing to let you invest in them and spend time together. Understanding the teachings of Christ is the goal in that time together and how to live it out, how to form your life in a way that is consistent with the teachings of Christ and how to share it. Those should all be part of your focus in your mentor-mentee relationships. And I just want to point out that the purpose of church and evangelism and discipleship is not about numbers. Like, I think our culture is very results-driven, business-minded. We, we want to multiply and make a big, super-mega church, but not actually. The real focus is... Uh, is fulfilling our mission as people who follow Christ. It is our purpose, and it glorifies God. 
when we become disciples of Christ and fulfill our greatest purpose, we are activated. And I uh, want to close with this really um, just a sci-fi illustration. Um, I was watching a, a Star Trek series where there is a character who's just kind of just living a normal life, falls in love with this guy, and there's little odd things you notice. Like, I think the audience kind of knows, but the, the entertainment part is just seeing how she finds out. But basically, like, she'll do things like she calls her mom every night, but, like, it's really just an answering machine. She's just leaving a message for her mom, but in her mind, that's, like, totally normal. And then um, we get to the scene. She meets the guy. He brings her somewhere. And then uh, basically they're, the guy is part of this secret group, and they're trying to destroy everyone like this girl. So um, she's basically about to die, but then something flips in her mind and she, she has this power and she uses this new power to escape. And essentially, um, she's an android. <laughs> it's kind of a very obscure illustration, but I use this to say that we are like the androids. We're living without Christ. We're living as though we are just human, just regular. Uh, but then when we find Christ, when, the, when God activates us and and puts his spirit in us, we have a higher power. We have this supernatural ability to redeem lost souls. And, and that is when we really find our strength and can be like androids. Um, <laughs> and the passage is Isaiah 43, 6-7 that really paints this picture. Uh, this is the Lord speaking. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. This is the ultimate encouragement that I found, that our reason for existence is to glorify God, and that's, that's why discipleship and evangelism are so important, and that's where we find our greatest meaning as Christians. So let me just close in prayer with, this, with all that we've gone over. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this message that you've revealed and that, um, that it is clear just through the life of Christ and uh, the work that you've done in our lives, Lord, that you desire for us to be a light to shine in this world of darkness, that people are lost and without hope until they know you, Lord, and that us knowing you is our opportunity to share and be a light on that hill to let your power work through us, God, for your glory to save many and for us to realize our purpose. And we pray for your spirit to empower us, to encourage us, and for all of the people here, our brothers and sisters, that we can encourage one another, that we can fellowship together, that we can practice discipleship together, find a mentor and mentee, God, that is really, I believe, what you want us to do, God. And we pray for you to empower that here at Regen, to deliver um, us into that place that will make us as effective as possible, Lord. You provide, and we trust you for that. Amen. All right. Um, so relative to all of this, um, it's only possible through what Christ did. And um, so we have communion to commemorate that. On the last day, the night he was betrayed, he took the bread. Uh, let me give a second for people who don't have one. Just raise your hand. Sorry. 
it's all an illustration and it's something that we commemorate every Sunday. So first thing he did was take the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It is a symbol of what he did. Um, and so let's take it together right now. And then the second part of that symbolism was the cup. This is my blood poured out for you. This is the way that fallen humanity can receive redemption and be reconciled with Christ, with God through Christ. Let's take the cup. All right, and I invite the worship team to come up and also anyone who has prayer requests. Uh, we have Mike in our front row to pray with you. And um, we just, we'll close another, with another prayer just Thanking Lord, thank you, Lord, for your communion. Thank you for your body and blood poured out for us. Thank you for the hope that we have through what you did on that cross. And Lord, let this worship um, glorify you. Let it resound with our spirit, with your spirit in us, um, that you may be pleased. Amen.